0: In this episode, I interviewed Sunita Bagre, an ex-head teacher, award-winning mindset coach and founder of the Every Teacher Matters project. It was such an interesting clash of worlds for me. Sunita is a huge advocate for personal development and I don't mean the CPD kind, it's more using your mind to affect change in your life and this is something I never came across in my years in teaching but is frequently on the agenda in business. Sunita has some great tips for getting started with real well-being, not just talk and gestures like compulsory yoga at school. Let's get to the interview. Sunita, thank you so much for joining me on the Teacher's Podcast today. Thanks. Um, you've travelled quite a long way to be here, uh, so Birmingham, and obviously you mentioned that you've, you've stayed in York for the That's weekend, right. yeah. so you've been in the best county ever. Yes, very true. Yeah, and the best capital city, because it's still the capital yes. in York, so you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, tell me everything about yourself. Sure. Go.
1: Yeah okay so yep I'm Sunita, Sunita Bagri. So I've been in education for 20 years, over 20 years now.
0: You just don't look that old.
1: I I really am. (laughs) You don't look it. (laughs) Yeah thank you. Um, So I've always wanted to be a teacher ever since I can remember. I had um, probably didn't have the the greatest um, home life when I was growing up as a child. Mm -hmm. My parents are immigrant family and survival was really their number one priority Mm -hmm. Um, and I suppose when your survival is your key you know sort of driver then day to day life can become quite challenging and yeah. not seeing the bigger picture um can also be a hindrance so i guess for my parents that was you know just keeping a roof over our heads yeah. being able to give us food and just trying to look after our basic needs but I was a little girl with a dream mm. and uh, I wanted to be more and have more and achieve more. So school became a really, really safe place for me. And mm. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was a, a CUV. I went to a you know, Christian based uh, faith school and, um, always been really interested in spirituality and mm-hmm. um, used to love singing along to the hymns and you know yeah. my, my opportunity to, to connect with mm-hmm. you know whatever energy was inside me at the time and what I understood of that. So school was just as, as happy filled memories of friends and great opportunities and teachers who believed in me. Yeah. So I think at a very early age I, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher and I actually knew that what I wanted to do was be a teacher at, at that school. Oh wow. So I kind of had that in my head always. Um, Always interested in personal development so I remember turning to personal development at the age of 18. um,
0: Which is really young.
1: Which is very young yeah but then I think it's also a a sign that um, things in my personal life, home life were were troubled so Mm. I was always looking for a way to gain strength and when that strength doesn't always come from your parents then you're looking for you know a way to manage that. So and I also remember, because there's big age gaps between my siblings and I, so I also recall sort of from the age of 11, 11 being a really significant age, it was a time when my sister got married, um, so you know, much older than me, we moved house, um, went to secondary school. Uh, my brother joined the youth training scheme, so I became very isolated at the age mm. of eleven. And being the youngest sibling, of how much three. older
0: than you were? So my sister's
1: ten years older than me, well, and my brother's five years older than me. So when I'm eleven, she's twenty-one, and he's sixteen. At that
0: age, it's a big, it's a big gap, isn't it? It,
1: it? it is, and I think that's so, you know the, the impact of my home life became,
0: mm. you know,
1: quite significant for me as growing up. So I got through school, got through secondary school, probably with less passion than I had at primary school, just because secondary school is is different. Mm. But um, nonetheless, I made it to university, which wasn't an easy thing for me either. Mm. As I said before, my parents weren't necessarily, you know, that wasn't their priority. Their priority was getting us, you know, married and um, settled so that we didn't really feel like a
0: burden to them. So how did they feel about it then when you said you wanted to go to university? But they
1: didn't back it at all. They didn't support it at all and I was really lucky to have the support of my siblings Mm -hmm. who didn't go to university themselves but absolutely did value the fact that they didn't want that to happen to me.
0: I suppose as well with them being quite older Mm. I suppose that could could have helped yeah I think so Uh, so.
1: yeah I definitely think so I think they had that sort of wisdom I mean my sister really was was like a mother you know she did really look after me in that way So I got to university and um, when you enter a very different arena, I lived away from home, so it was a very, very big change. I did turn to personal development at that age. So I made it to university, did really well. I think I really regained my passion for education again. I was on the path. I think that dream was becoming a real reality for me. So I just put everything I had in it and, and went for it. I was the first trainee in my group out of 120 trainees where I was able to, I got, you know, I was the first one to get a job. And it was the school yeah. that I was a pupil at. It was my yeah. own primary school. So that was great.
0: Wow. Okay. Right. So from there then you got a job. Yeah, there. got a job.
1: Um, How did you progress through your career then? So went into teaching, loved it started to work in London I managed to do a year in the school that I mentioned I you know I started off as a pupil I really really enjoyed it there had um lots and lots of uh, great learning to do but I think when I trained in London I became very um I love the melting pot of London. Mm. I love the, the the diversity and the inclusion and the challenge of London inner city schools. So I went back to work in London and very quickly started to progress my career. I was very ambitious. And I think what happens is when you do have struggles and when you do have to fight for something, what it certainly does make you is, is very, very determined and very motivated. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just progressed through my career, moved from London to the West Midlands, met my husband. Um, decided to move to the West Midlands and um, from that point really just started to work on my mm. career goals which were very much about senior leadership. Yeah. So progressed through phase leader, assistant head teacher, deputy head teacher, and over the last four years I've been a head teacher to so come out of that role. Wow. Very recently.
0: So you've done it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I yeah, I, I do say, you know, I have experience I've I've twenty years but I have had a really, really good depth and breadth of experiences
0: yeah that's amazing right okay so we had the conversation earlier um now personal development is something that is known about a lot in terms of business so I know a lot about it but there might be teachers listening thinking what is personal development Mm. and so one of the questions we always ask at interview especially for senior roles Mm. is you know as a company we're really into personal development Mm. what are you doing for your Mm. personal development and Often the answers are strange mm. because the term is not understood. Yes. So what, what's your definition of personal development for everybody? Um,
1: commitment to self-improvement. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. It's about having um, an evolving mindset, which is going to make you better
0: as yeah. a person. So does that mean, you know, personal development means I'm going to be better at my job or can it be anything
1: so we're people first and we're professional yeah. second which mm-hmm. has always been my motto so your commitment is firstly and foremost to your personal development because once you've got those foundations in place then that's the premise to start moving forward if you haven't got you know your grounding if you haven't got the the mental um, flexibility in thinking, if you haven't got the attitude for your well being and that commitment to being well in yourself as a person mm-hmm. and understanding what that means, then how can you be a good professional? How can you be a good teacher, a good yeah. business person? So really the the personal development are your fundamentals as a
0: person. Yeah. So if um if a teacher's listening now and they're thinking um this is the first time really I've heard about personal development and what it is, it at what point could somebody start, like, what kind of things should they be looking to work on, maybe as a first instance? So health, health and
1: um, well-being. So your health and fitness levels would be the first thing to work on if you don't know where to start. So there's lots of different areas of personal development. But it, your starting point would be your health, because your physical health and your mm. mental health is really your sustenance. So everything that you eat, everything that you drink, everything the way that you move, the way that you look after your body, that is all personal development.
0: It really does sort of make a difference as well, doesn't it? What you're eating and what you you know, how much you're drinking for your brain power and how quickly you can do things. Yeah, it's
1: essential. Essential.
0: Okay. So you said that you started personal development at 18 and obviously you know I've already talked about the fact that's quite young who introduced you to it?
1: So I was at school, had a part-time job when I was at, um, still at school and and sort of going over to college and I was working um, in an electrical superstore, it's closed down now, Um, but I used to work in an electrical superstore and um, there was a, there's an older, you know, friend, a colleague of mine that we used to, to, at break time, we used to sit and talk a lot and um, he was going through some depression and uh, we used to just you know cherish those cups of coffee and Mm. having a chat and it was him Uh, he's moved to Italy now his name's Tom and um, he he moved and and did some amazing things in his life as a result of turning to personal development but yeah it was him he introduced me to uh, the first book that I got which was uh, You Can Heal Your Life by Louisa Hay Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Amazing. Thank you. All right. So you mentioned then that you got the job that you wanted, Mm -hmm. that you always dreamed you would have. So I guess you were visualizing that. Yes. Um, Was there anything else that you did in terms of personal development wise that you think sort of secured that job for you?
1: I work really, really hard Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a really good work ethic um, and I've always been a goal setter. Mm -hmm. I've always been somebody that's I know what I want and I just go for it yeah. and I also, I don't, I don't really, I don't take no for an answer Yeah. and I tend to have a very solution focused approach. When mm. I want something, then it's about how do I make it happen? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a way that you kind of apply your, your mind to what yes. you want to get. So that's an approach in itself. And that's why in my coaching, you know, I call myself a mindset coach because mm. it really is about developing a mindset towards what you want. So it is um, an approach. It's about what what do I want? How am I going to get it? And how am I going to make it happen?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, th- and with that, I guess, comes confidence as well, yeah, which always course. helps being confident that you are going to get that role or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so... You mentioned that you've been um, a head teacher. Yes. So, what's the reaction um, from other head teachers about personal development?
1: I think you're right in in what you said earlier. There is still a lot of unknown, and people don't always understand it. But I think what I've really noticed is I've had great support from my colleagues, and mm-hmm. I have a lot of head teacher colleagues. I've had really good support, and that is definitely because teacher retention is at an all-time crisis point yeah. so how do we look after our teachers to keep them well mm. and yes workload is one approach which is the one mm. that the DfE seems to advocate the most yeah. but there is more to that there is yeah. a lot more to that and bur- the you know signs and symptoms of burnout certainly indicate All of that. So I've had really good response. I've had really fantastic support. And people are more open minded, I think now to innovative ways and approaches, because really at the heart of it, we're all caring professionals Mm -hmm. that really care about the children. But equally, we are beginning to recognise because it's mm-hmm. all you know—it's hitting us all in the face like a brick. Because yeah. what four out of ten teachers are predicted to leave within the next five years. Yeah. So, how are we going to tackle this? So, I think people are being supportive because there is much more understanding about mm-hmm. well-being and looking after our teachers. Yeah. So, so good. I think
0: as well, you know, we're we're a lot more aware of mental health now, mm-hmm. aren't we? Mm-hmm. And and maybe part of it where we're becoming more open-minded is partly because we've run out of other options. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Why, Why not give it a go? Yeah. And, you know,
1: as a head teacher myself, I would say what I experienced in terms of staff absence was 50 to 60%, if not more, absenteeism was due to a mental health condition
0: yeah
1: and that's you know I wouldn't be alone in that I know my head teacher colleagues would also say that you know you have lots of staff away due to a trauma due to some stress due to having an incident occur in their life which has left them absolutely drained and that requires emotional support Mm. and that doesn't just stop after having two weeks off work no. it's ongoing they still need that so even getting them back into the workplace because their resilience is low because their mm. emotional energy is you know really challenged and really jeopardized so trying to get them back into the workplace often requires a staggered return to work yeah. and then it also requires the the team at work being sometimes the individual wants others to know what's happened yeah And sometimes it's confidential so as a head you have to manage that balance because confidentially peers that are going to support colleagues that are going to support you can only give them minimal information but as a head you know that that you're going to require a whole team approach to get this person back in the workplace and that's one of the things that colleagues feel you know teachers feel really guilty about because that can hinder them from coming back into the workplace because they don't want to be a burden because teaching is such a tough profession Mm. that if they come back and, you know, their their year group colleague is doing 70, 80% of the planning for them, Mm. then that's not something that they feel comfortable about. So Mm. it really does require a high level of skill to manage those situations, but then that comes right from the top. And it's about the culture that you set in, yeah. in a school that you, you work in.
0: I find that really interesting that you've, you've mentioned about that trauma because um on some of the life-work-balance episodes that mm. I did um, earlier on in the year, we talked about that and, and it's almost like teaching just takes everything that you just can't take a trauma yeah. of any kind. You can't take somebody in your, in, in your life dying. You yeah. can't take somebody getting an illness because it just pushes you over the yeah. edge yeah. because you just... capacity with like the stress levels and everything like that
1: yeah that's so tough isn't it and and how can you you know how can you compartmentalize that and put it
0: away in a box it's just it's just not possible you can't especially when work is such a big part of anyone's life anyway Mm. but for a teacher that's like you know two two thirds of life isn't it It, rather than just the one third and for some it's
1: you know it is all consuming well for for a lot of us it's it's all consuming so yeah it's really tough Tough thing to ask.
0: I guess as well. Back to the head teachers, the fact that you've been a head teacher mm-hmm. for four years mm-hmm. and have obviously got results in your yeah. own school yeah. um, will help with, um, you know, persuading them to your ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that definitely has has leverage. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what are your tips then for retaining teachers?
1: My tips for retaining teachers would be the first thing really is just to make sure that everybody in your school staff mm-hmm. has a voice. And that they feel really valued in that. So you have to have a very open and transparent culture in a school. Mm -hmm. Um, Without that, without that premise, I think, you know, you're always challenged as a teacher. When you look at burnout, it is very much about, yes, where a school is committed to your well-being it will show in the way that you are communicated with Mm. it will show in the way that you are valued it will show in the way that you are respected it will show in the way that the emails come through you know is there consideration about whether emails only come through between 8 a.m and 6 p.m for example Mm. so it's it's very difficult to say what Retains a teacher because every school culture and ethos is so very, very different. Mm. So I can just share with you where some of my own successes, and also some other colleagues. Obviously, being in teachers so long, you know, mm-hmm. majority of my friends are teachers. Yeah, yeah. So if if I share those experiences, it's always going to be the colleagues that feel valued right from SLT, right from you know the head teacher setting the tone for, you know, walking the walk, but you know, not sorry, not just talking the talk, but walking the talk mm. and actually being the person that for me has the biggest impact in a school, because if they see the head teacher with their, you know, their their sleeves rolled up yes. in the heart of it, if yeah. a teacher is away, stepping into the classroom and yes. doing what it takes, even if it's a teacher running late yeah. and going in to do registration yeah. or covering a break yeah. and having just a really compassionate yeah. attitude towards their staff. From my experience, teachers will go to the moon and back for you. Yes. If they see you care and if they, they feel that, you know, if they've got to go and see their child's assembly or, mm. or, I of course, we've got boundaries. Of course, we've got policies in place and they're there for a reason. But at the heart of it, if you're a head teacher or if you're a senior leadership team that lead by example mm. and you, you treat your staff with compassion. Yeah there isn't anything that the teachers won't do for you because you're all coming from the same place. So I know that you're working hard for me and I know that you're working hard for the children, but I hope that you can see I'm working just as hard for the school community, for the children, for you. And I think that level of respect Mm. really is where you get the buy-in from staff. It's great to have, you know, there's a lot of troubled schools out there. So the schools that have got really clear Uh, Practices that are formed from your policies, Mm. they seem to be schools that um, people's expectations are managed. And Mm. I think that's a really important part of teacher retention because you've got the teacher standards and you know what you did at college and you know what those met and you know meant and you know what evidence you had to prove to get to them and to Mm. prove that you're a teacher. But when you go into a school, those standards can be a bit inconsistent. Mm. So what you have to see, because no one wants to sit and read policies at the end of the day. In troubled schools, it's absolutely necessary. And I've led very challenging schools that have been in in requires improvement or special measures so you you sometimes have to start at that point but really if you go into a school and your policies speak for themselves through the practice and they're exemplified in your colleagues and what everybody's doing then people's expectations become very managed and there's no question about what should I be doing or what is because they see it all in practice and you know by nature we as teachers, we like methodology. Yeah. We like to have a system in place. It makes yeah. us feel secure. It makes yeah. us feel grounded because, as teachers, we role model that to the children that we teach clear yeah. routines, clear boundaries. Uh, and that's what it is, but it has to be not a top down. So, where a, a hierarchical um, hierarchy exists, we can't shy away from it, but that hierarchy shouldn't be felt. Yes. And I think that's where you get the most success in schools, from my experience.
0: Yeah, I can see that because um, I I did a lot of supply teaching, um, day-to-day supply when I set up Classroom Secrets, and I visited a lot of local schools, and I think I could tell just from one day in the school, yeah. um, and the schools that I really like to go back to, one of the schools was Ash Green, and the head teacher, Mungo, has actually been on the podcast, and I think if I could think of a word for him, it would be visible. Yeah. So he was on yeah. the playground yeah. at lunch times, yeah. And one thing that he always did, if it had been a nice day and the children were maybe a little bit whipped up, he would sit them down for the first 10 minutes of the, of the lessons, I suppose, yeah. and read them a story on the playground yeah. Yeah. before they walked in. Lovely. And it's that... Involvement is so important, but yeah. also being involved and being responsible for mm. the children's behavior mm. as well, instead mm. of saying, No, no, mm. your responsibility, close the door Absolutely. and don't send them to me.
1: Absolutely, and that's where you know that hierarchy exists, mm. but where it isn't felt because you're all part of a team, and there's absolute, you know, there's respect, Mm. there's a community of us working together, because we, 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 you know, we've chosen the profession, we want to do the job, but actually we're all on the same page, very, very similar to a family approach, you know, where, as a family, you all work together, and you make the team work, so I think, from my experience, that's where schools are, are most successful.
0: And that's the thing, isn't it, getting your hands dirty. Definitely. Getting your hands dirty. Yeah. So, We've talked um, a little bit about teachers being off and obviously sometimes teachers are off with stress. How how do you identify stress then? Because I think teachers can be stressed and not Mm. realise. I think I was definitely very stressed and when I look back, I think, oh, those could have been some of the... Mm. um, Pointing factors, but I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah. I think
1: stress is, um, we, all, we all have stress and I think there's something from the, um, I'm just going to read something quickly from uh, the Education, well, uh, the Education Support Wellbeing Index. So it says the disproportionately high levels of stress reported by the workforce impedes teachers' ability to effectively nurture children and young people And then it also goes on to say that the interaction in the classroom of a stressed, overwhelmed, tired and unsupported teacher will inevitably be different to that of a supported teacher with a strong sense of professional autonomy, self-efficacy and balance between personal and professional life. So if we take that, for example, so we know that a a teacher who's well isn't going to show the same outward signs of stress. Now, stress can be very, very difficult to Mm -hmm. identify. Because as teachers, we, we, we want to get it right for the children yeah. and we are very giving people, we're very giving and, and that's where the personal development side of it is so important because the self-care part of self personal development is absolutely key for us as professionals to stay well so that stress when stress enters our lives which, which it does, then we have the the self-care tools to be able to manage it and still do the job. And where stress starts to show is when you fall behind on your marking. Mm. It's when behavior management becomes much, much more challenging to control. Mm. And that I know is very contentious because we are also working in a time where the, the demographic of children that is coming to us is very, it's very different because you know things in our society have changed and the way that children are raised, and mm-hmm. the way that technology impacts on on our on children 's upbringing also plays huge amounts of, of of you know of a role there, but going back to you know looking at stress in the classroom, what can be one of the most difficult things for even colleagues to realize is that people are managing stress on a daily basis. And we all do. And sometimes that stress can be, it's adrenaline. Mm. It's a healthy stress where it's healthy. We can kind of feel nervous. We've got, you know, maybe we're delivering a CPD session. Maybe we're seeing parents or Mm. we're dealing with something, but it's almost that boost of energy can be very, very positive and it gets us going. And that's a good thing. But where it starts to really eradicate and perhaps knock our confidence and start to really erode our our well-being is like some of the things that I mentioned about you know we just don't feel on top of it anymore we're not we're not we're not prepared for lessons we're falling behind on planning and we just generally don't feel ready for the the role when that continues then you're challenged by putting on a bit of a face to make everybody see that you're okay you're able to do the job but you tend to have a bit of a mask on Mm. because now you're actually not feeling great and you know that you know stress and anxiety go hand in hand you know that you've got these symptoms these symptoms can manifest in a number of ways they can be just having stomach ache Mm. or nausea you know like nausea and nauseous feelings can be diarrhea can be constipation headaches and migraines are absolutely reported you know there's such a a strong indicator of stress like tension headaches Um, trying to manage the anxiety that's a a huge one feeling sick on the way to work in the mornings Mm. going to sleep at night and not being able to just not being able to relax not being able to switch off having heart palpitations at night waking up with panic attacks in the night you know they're all they're all very very obvious signs aren't they Mm. of stress so how do we you know how do we mask all of that because that's us isn't it as mm-hmm. a person yeah. so again I'll go back to the personal with people first and with professional second but we're trying to be professionals mm. and we're trying to manage all of these symptoms and when somebody asks you are you okay what do you say yeah i'm fine
0: yeah
1: and you're not fine you're not fine yeah. at all so what happens is you actually become conflicted with your yourself mm. and when that happens you're on a slippery slope downwards, unfortunately.
0: And all, I guess all that giving as well that teachers do, the personal development aspect is getting something to fill your cup up, as it were. Absolutely. To then, Absolutely. To then pour out of.
1: Absolutely. And they say that, don't they? You know, yeah. you're on a plane, you put your own oxygen mask on first. And when you do that, you can look after your own children if you've got children. But yeah. it's, it's just no different. You're not teachers. going to be able to do it
0: yeah. well otherwise. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so when we're on the phone, you talked about principles of burnout. Mm-hmm. So what are the six principles mm-hmm. of burnout then? Yeah,
1: so um, this is taken by Christina Masluck, these burnout indicators, and she's a professor of psychology in California. Um, so the, uh, we've already talked about one of them, which is workload. And we know that that's the, the, the common one in schools that everybody tries to tackle. And I know there's a huge focus in the new Ofsted mm-hmm. schedule as well around that in the Osted framework. So the second one is about lack of control when you don't feel you're in control, and that Mm. could be your life, control of your life, which is personal, but it can also be at work when you don't feel that you've got control over your own teaching. Yeah, That's a big one, because if we look at some of the multi-academy trusts and the way that they roll out what they want to do and what they want to happen in schools, then it can be a very systematic approach to teaching. Mm. Now, that goes against everything, that we have learned as nurturers, as educators, we nurture our children from a holistic child development point of view. Mm. And then all of a sudden, we're we're being told that we are are delivering this phonics scheme, or we're delivering this math scheme, and we've got to just go with it, which can be very difficult for some when some people really like that yeah, some people yeah. like that framework of okay I know what I'm doing and the accountability side of it is you know it's it's almost at senior level I'll do my bit and I'll do it well yeah, yeah. but I know that if it's not working I'm still doing what I'm doing so so yeah. some people do like that but where you're a confident teacher mm. and you know you like taking risks yourself then you want to use your assessment mm. and what the children are showing you on a daily basis you want to use that to then plan, guide, develop. And that's what outstanding teaching is, isn't it? Outstanding yeah. teaching is when you let the children be the leaders of their own learning. Yeah. And if you're not in a position to do that, you're constantly feeling a lack, lack of control. <coughs> uh, the next one is lack of reward. Now, um, not everybody feels that they um, are being acknowledged mm. and are being rewarded for <coughs> what they do at work. And I think when, that, when you feel that you are that type of person, that you like reward... Mm-hmm. then um, it can be quite dampening on your spirits when you no- you don't feel that you're being rewarded and if you look at teaching it's actually a, excuse me it's actually a very rewarding profession um because of what you're giving to the children and then what you get back is per- personally mm-hmm. very rewarding which can be very gratifying and for for yeah. many of us that's what we like doing you know a profession can be really self-gratifying and seeing the children make progress than many of us as teachers, is more than enough of a reward. Mm. But in schools where that hierarchy exists and mm-hmm. it's also felt yeah. and you see certain people being rewarded, maybe that might look like a fast-track promotion
0: Yeah.
1: or it might look like a pay rise cool. or it may look like somebody being given more responsibility. Yeah. Another, So there's those types of reward and you're not part of that and you can't understand why. That can be a, a real, yeah. a real indicator as well, because these start, these things start to have real, you know, real. Um, they start weighing you down. These thoughts start to real, really weigh you down. Mm. Schools where um, teachers have felt that they're not part of the community, they're mm. not part of that team, they're working in isolation. I know lots of smaller schools teachers have reported this as well that where they don't have year group colleagues so it's just a one form mm. entry school and they don't or they're, they're much younger and yes. um, they're NQTs and then the, the rest of the school are older they're more experienced so where they don't yeah. feel part of that community that's another another indicator. I've already touched on this but lack of fairness mm. so where you're feeling that other people are being rewarded or other people are being acknowledged mm. or the head teachers taking out groups of people for you know just special perks I suppose and you're not mm. part of that but you feel that you know I work just as hard as the senior leadership mm. team for example I work just as hard as the teachers this could be TAs as well you know yeah, yeah. some of our TAs are just phenomenal in the yeah. amount of you know I don't even like that hierarchy that exists because in the children's minds yeah they just go home and say my teacher yes. they don't know the difference especially
0: especially the young <laughs> ones Definitely. so my daughter obviously has a teacher and a teaching assistant but I think she probably thinks a teaching assistant is the is the actual yeah, teacher yeah absolutely um, because she talks about her an awful lot more they do absolutely
1: yeah. and I remember I was um, head of a free school a couple of years ago and free schools are great because they're very innovative and they're yeah, yeah. always thinking of creative ways to to look at staffing so um there were there are some free schools that don't have teaching assistants, they're just called associate teachers. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So, you know, there's there's that element of where they don't feel that people are being treated with equity and equality, then mm-hmm. that can that again can have a real impact. Um I, I know I have talked about this earlier as well about conflict of, of values. I talked about inner conflict, but where there is a conflict of values, so I'm sure you know, Claire yourself being a teacher You'll know that the educational landscape has changed so Mm -hmm. much so that, you know, we've got schools that are exam factories Mm -hmm. and it's just results. And where when where do we fit in with that? When Mm -hmm. actually we went into teaching because we love children, we love the difference we make to children, we love the imparting knowledge, we love Mm -hmm. nurturing their development. And we've been told to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. Yeah. yeah, but you know, we've just got to get. We've got to get them. We've got to get. We've got to get our, our um, school improvement data this year. We've got to get mm-hmm. them to the top seventies or whatever it is that your target yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and then you take away from all those values that are yeah. important to us. So when you become when you're at that stage where you're conflicted now with what's important to you and what's important to perhaps the leaders then that can be, you know, really damning. Mm -hmm. So if you're carrying all those factors around and, you know, it's workload. For me, almost workload comes last when I like to talk about it because the workload, you you kind of expect to have a bit of a handle on workload because you've gone through your teaching practice, you've met the teacher standards, you haven't gone into teaching for the money (laughs) because I don't (laughs) know the teacher that has. So you've gone into the profession for all of those reasons, understanding he- is a heavy load it's going mm. to be difficult but so some of those factors when you look at burnout you're not prepared to deal with those you didn't know they were part of the package yeah. so you're ready for the workload and you kind of think okay yeah I know it's going to be hard I know there'll be some personal sacrifices or compromises I prefer to call them then that you're going to have to make but then if you're conflicted your values are conflicted because you're being mm. told to, do something that isn't aligned with you or your beliefs or you don't feel part of your community or your team and you're not supported your well-being isn't of interest to anybody you've got the stress you've got the anxiety and say you've got something happening in your personal life on top of all of that
0: where do you go no you're not going to be able to do it and also workload I mean it's an overall term isn't it but it can mean so many different things in so many different schools it does when you were listing those i'm thinking oh i felt this in that school and i felt this in that school and i felt this in that school and i think for me in particular you know workload was was an issue but then it was the control element yeah so especially in a school where you get moved every year group yeah you lose all control of ever being able to get on top of that yeah um or if you constantly be given more you don't have any control and then yeah. um, the first primary school that I worked in, actually. So I was only there on supply. And uh, in the year group, there was an NQT, me. I didn't realise they were an NQT at first, actually. It took me a few weeks to realise. And then another, a third teacher, who was actually the head of Key Stage 2, but that teacher was treated differently, yeah. uh, very differently. Yeah. So they they would go and do an observation in that person's classroom. They would get outstanding. They would never provide any planning, um, I went to that person on the first day and said, oh, I'm a secondary teacher, um, but I've been told that you would give me planning for today. And that teacher said, I don't share planning. <laughs> and that's, that's how I started my first day in a year four classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really does play on on your experience, I really I really think. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got a number of those factors, when you just don't feel in control and things aren't fair. And there is a mounting workload. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it only takes two, really, yeah. doesn't it, to topple Absolutely. you over? Absolutely. will you where you see that different strokes for different folks? Yeah. It's it's not a nice.
1: It's not a comfortable feeling. And if you're by nature a person that has strong values and strong morals, yeah. Where do you fit in with that? It's this gonna is it. Really play a part.
0: I remember um, for a couple of months in, actually. So I started around the November time, and that had happened, and then I realised we're an NQT in the year group, and and we sort of thought, hang on, why are we doing it all on our own? Why don't we work together? We could work together as a pair, mm. um, and and we'll worry about what our classes yeah. are doing. So we spent a week over Christmas getting it all all sorted. Uh, the NQT had gone to like the literacy coordinator for the um for the council because at the time they they had people, and had uh, got some ideas of things, and um. So she did, I did all the math, she did all the literacy, and we spent a week of the Christmas holidays doing it. And we came back, and um, so this other teacher had said, Oh, you know what, what are you doing in literacy? And I um, thought, so, hang on a minute, mm. you haven't done any of this <laughs> work. Mm. We've spent all our Christmas doing this, you mm-hmm. haven't done anything. Um, so she kind of put her off mm. quite a few times via email, oh, yeah, I'll send mm. it, but she didn't send it now. Yeah. I would have been that person who would have just sent it anyway. But anyway, when it came round to it, she uh, called a book scrutiny uh, an applying scrutiny just for our year group to get the planning and when we took it to the head teacher it was like yeah it's And so and that is um and I just it's think not what you
1: want to hear is I it? tell that story and I think mm.
0: Oh, mm. it's quite bad that but
1: how common is that it is it is common unfortunately I think um we talk about lack of control and the, the opposite of that is autonomy mm. and will go back to that where teachers feel the happiest or yeah. what keeps them in a workplace, it was where they do feel they have autonomy and that they can take they can have control of what they're doing and, and giving people like in that scenario that you just described, it is about giving people the um because trust plays a huge part in that because yeah. if you're giving somebody the, the autonomy to say go ahead and do it like that, then what you're subliminally saying is that as a professional you're trusted. And that is so, so key because, you know, you'll you'll know this, I'm sure, in the work that you do and the professional dialogues that you have, that teaching is the profession where we don't feel like professionals. Yes, You know, when you look at the business world as well, you know, people are treated very differently. You have sort of business acumen, you have professional Mm. kudos, and then we think, well, if we really were given the same status, then surely we can decide what we teach and how we do it. Of course that needs to be monitored, of course, you yeah. know I'm not I'm not being wacky and saying, yeah, Yeah. let's be totally maverick. And But there has to be some opportunity to be maverick. There has to be to say, let us have a go. We've met these standards. We've proved, gosh, you know, they're not easy. Four years at university are not easy Mm. standards to have shown and demonstrated that we meet. So if we've reached that, now let us have a go and, and, you know, support us, trust us.
0: So what's really interesting so having this conversation, you've been a head teacher and you're still saying these things. So when you were in school, did teachers have um kind of the autonomy to do their own thing? You know, did you did you follow a scheme for mass or could they follow what they wanted?
1: Different schools. I worked in lots of different schools, mm-hmm. and some schools required, if they were schools in special measures, they really did just require a very autocratic, systematic approach to Po- right, starting from policy, we need to put policies in mm-hmm. place. We need to- because ultimately we we are responsible for the standards that the children mm-hmm. meet, and we have to put in those right measures. And some of those were, you know, proven we kind of have to build in blocks for Of course you do. Work. Of course you do. And I think when you've got that bit then you put your next building block and then the next and the next and I can't say that I've sustained headship in a school for for a long period of time I've done headship in lots of different schools but the schools that I've worked in very very challenging but in the last school that I worked in that was you know a good school then you take a very different very, very different approach. And I had the most fantastic senior leadership team that were just, they were dynamic, they were creative, they cared about the Mm. children. So of course in in that situation, have a go. What do you think works well? And I think it's about being a confident leader and knowing what that school and that you, there's just, you know, again, it's different approaches for different schools. You can't, you would be wrong to go in and, and try and apply the same thing. So you have to yeah. have a you have to have that situational leadership approach to examine the situation, get to see what your team's capabilities are, mm. get to see what your team's limitations are as well. Yeah. And that does take time to get to know that. But then once you know that, actually give them because it, I love them. Um, um, Richard Branson's approach yes. I absolutely love his yeah. approach to you know he, he says doesn't he if you think you're the smartest person in the table then it's time to read it's time yes. to, to yes. leave the table yeah. um, and that absolutely is so true because as a head you've got to be a learner mm. you've got to know that they know more than you yeah my job is to coordinate my job is to really build build the structure as an architect in mm-hmm. this school and to give the all of these people that are going to Build the capacity so that really the way that I see it is a good school is when I don't need to be there. Yeah, that's the measure of a good school because the senior leadership team are so well empowered mm. that they they know what they're doing yeah. and it doesn't rely on me. So that's the sign of a good school and actually recognizing the strengths in your senior yeah. leadership team.
0: It's really interesting that you say that because it's a sign of a good business as well. Of course it is. Um, yeah. So I'm very much that person who. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want to have really smart people around me. Absolutely, <laughs> telling me what to do.
1: Absolutely, absolutely,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Okay, um, right then. I'm loving this conversation. By the right, way, right. it's kind of like yeah, me too. business and teaching merge. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I've got some questions from the team. Then, so Claire wants to know why did you want to develop the well being of teachers?
1: Because there's a lot of people that are talking about um, this crisis. And there's not enough people doing anything about Mm -hmm. it. And I think I got to the end of sort of, you know, uh, 2018. And I just started to see this um, repetition of Mm. what's not right. Mm. And for me, there was just absolutely no doubt in my mind that it's the well-being of our teachers that has to be first and foremost. Mm. And I can't do that in a school on my own. But what I can do is try and join a force and try and create a movement so that there is no choice but to start looking at the well-being of Mm. our teachers. And, you know, there's that saying, isn't there? If you want to see the change, then you need to be the change. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we're talking about well-being of teachers. (laughs) I hate the word well-being. I hate it because I just don't feel like... We really know what it means. Yeah, I think that could mean a compulsory yoga class. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So tell me about it, yeah, what should sure, it be? Sure. What should it not be? Yeah, so it uh, has to be far
1: removed from tokenism. So I read a comment from a head teacher over the weekend on LinkedIn, and she had posted that uh, she was going back to school today and she had created well-being packs for all her staff. And in those well-being packs were um, lip balm, uh, hand cream, post-it notes, pens, and san- san- uh, sanitization gel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <coughs> and I, hate, of, I hate that anyway. and, and lots of people have said, that's lovely, that's lovely. And it really is. Yes. It really, really is a really nice gesture. She had obviously gone to a huge amount of, you know, mm-hmm you know, trouble. If, yeah. if she saw it as trouble, you know, she, she'd made a real effort. Yeah. So she bought some cellophane packages and, you know, she'd really, God, made, made an effort. And that's not well-being in my eyes.
0: Yeah,
1: no. That's a really nice gesture. And it's a, a nice little goodie bag. It's a little little pamper kit. but It's a step towards making people feel valued, I guess. Def- 100%, you know, and, and it really is a nice gesture because yeah. not, not a lot of heads do that. No. We can't confuse that with yeah. actual well-being yes. because if you've got a teacher that's dealing with a crisis or a personal mm. trauma or just dealing with you know, stress and anxiety, are they going to say, I'm okay, I'll just reach out for my lip balm? They're yeah. not going to do that, are no. they? What they want to do is actually have the tools or have the time or have the therapy yeah. to make themselves feel better so that they've got better control over their mind to sustain the challenges so we've got to be really clear about what well-being actually is Mm. and well-being is a feeling of feeling well consistently Mm. majority of your life but you know majority of your days that you feel that yeah okay you know I'm not having a great day I'm going to bounce back I've got the you know the ability to just bounce back after a little setback for some it's not a little setback it's a big setback but it's knowing that I will be okay I will see this through and I need to deal with this and for different people dealing with a stressful situation means different things some people what I am confident in saying is they need to deal with it. Yeah. Where you start saying, I'm fine, I don't need to deal with it, or I'm strong, I'm okay, mm. that's where you, you, it will only last you certain. You yeah. know, it, it will, at some point, it will catch up with you and yes. it will bite you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: So you do need to deal with your emotions in a a much healthier way. Mm. And for some people, that is crying it out. For some people, that is shut off. For some people, it is just watching, you know, some sad movies and kind of, you know, just sobbing. You know, it's different things for different people. And in exactly the same way, just as stress or stressful situations or trauma is dealt with differently, well-being is also different for different people so yeah. i can't tell you what well-being should look like for you mm. all i can say to you is that well-being is going to be that you feel good mm. about your life the majority of the time but if you don't feel like that and you're always finding sort of uh, thing, nice things to do, like buy a bottle of wine, because that's going to make, you're going to do a hard day at work and then you're going to go back and you're going to feel a bit rubbish, but to stop you feeling rubbish, you're going to have a glass of wine. And it's that, you know, are you drinking for enjoyment or are you drinking to get away from what you're not happy about? Yeah. Is it, oh, I'm going to get my nails done because that always, oh, I like looking at my nails and that's going to make me feel good. These are things that momentarily make us feel good, going out have hair, hair yeah. done or going for a spa day, or going out with our friends, they're all really important to our well-being, but they do nothing if consistently we're not feeling good about ourselves. Yeah, Those things are more about self-care when we are feeling well in ourselves consistently. Yeah.
0: So what do you do about this then? Because, so I think when I were in teaching, I think I was just exhausted because it had to be perfect and you were just, you know, if, if you want to apply, you don't really have the same control as other teachers in terms of having a TA to help you and things like that. Um, And I think I was just exhausted all the time. And it wasn't that I couldn't sustain that for a short time. It was I couldn't couldn't sustain that for a long time. And you know when Mm. you're just not going to sort of see an end. Mm. So how do people get through that without leaving? Mm. The importance of self-care
1: has to be advocated there. Mm. And I think that you have to do a bit of an assessment of your of your life and your situation because for so many, you know. It is an exhausting profession and and it is what it is. It is what it says on the tin. Mm. So you have to kind of talk to yourself and, you know, go back to, well, why am I doing this? Because for many of us, the driver of just making, helping the children make the progress is enough. Mm. And yes, you're tired and yes, you're exhausted and you accept that. But what are you doing to nourish yourself? Mm. What are you doing to care for yourself? What are you doing consistently? You know, it's hard, but it's not impossible Mm. to take time out for you drinking more water, eating, you know, I think I said this to you in a conversation earlier, you know, when you're eating food, then ask yourself, is this Feeding disease or is it fighting disease? Mm,
0: yeah, I love that because
1: all of these things play a part, don't they? Is mm. this going to make me feel, you know, en- energetic and vital for this job that requires all of my energy, or is it going to? I'm going to feel good while I'm eating it momentarily again. Mm. But is it just going to, you know, once the, sh- the the sugar rush dies down, is it mm. just going to bring me down with a thud as well? So it's about really looking and asking your looking at your picture, and that's where personal development plays a huge part, you know, because mm actually knowing yourself as a person and what well-being means to you you can then start to say okay I am exhausted but now I'm going to start looking at the balance against the work that I need to do and then the balance that I've got in my life and if you haven't got the balance how am I going to get it mm-hmm. so you have to be really um in for you have to really enforce your boundaries mm-hmm. and you have to be really firm with yourself mm-hmm. and you have to say I'm not actually going to mark off to Nobody really can tell you to do that. And that's where, again, personal development helps because it's about you enforcing your boundaries. It's about you saying no. So if somebody at work is taking up all of your energy, then I can't talk, sorry, I'm really busy. It's not easy. No. But they because you are your most important responsibility. The most important relationship you have is with yourself. So I'm feeling exhausted. Mm. I'm finding this job really challenging. What can I do about it? Yeah because I love working with the children. I love the difference I'm making to them. But now, do you know what? I've got to be really firm and I've got to be obsessive about self-care and it's about balancing that. And for many, you know, time management is a huge thing. And that's one of my workshops, time management and self-efficacy. Until you get that bit right, you won't be able to make the time for self-care.
0: Yeah, I think you're completely right. And when I, obviously, I didn't know anything about personal development or in teaching, but I look back now and, I remember. Um, I mean, there were teachers in in that first school who would stay till half eight, nine at night. But it's like they advocated it. Yeah. Like they were they were warriors, and they encouraged the NQT to do it as well. And um, you could get sucked in. And sometimes they'd come in your classroom and talk to you for forty five minutes, and you think, I want to go home and spend yeah. time with my children. Uh, my yeah. children. I didn't have children yeah. at the time. My husband. Yeah. Yeah. And then you end up taking those books home, and you were going to have to work anyway. But then you end up working more. And I remember then when I. I went to my next job I, I, I became I didn't become a horrible person but I felt horrible because so I used to go home and say to my husband uh, he'll, you know he'd say did you do go to the staff room today and I go no I didn't go to the staff room in the lunch times I work I'm not there to make friends yeah, yeah, um, yeah. what I want to do is leave on time yeah, yeah. um But it's difficult, isn't it? Because you want to make relationships at work as well, but there's so much work to do. Yeah, yeah. To put boundaries in place. It
1: would be about putting, you know, it's very isolating and you do want to feel part of the team. And we know that, you know, burnout could be caused if you don't feel that. But literally just be really strict with yourself. I'm going to go in on a Friday lunchtime. And that's the only day I'm yeah. going to do it. Yeah. So you've got these really clear boundaries in place. Don't say no. Don't say you're not going to do it because that, that's mm. that's not going to support your, you know, your, your well-being at mm. work, is it? If you haven't got meaningful relationships. Yeah. But put boundaries in place. I had that a lot. I had to deal with that a lot. You know, people saying, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, I'm not leaving until six. But, you know, upon observation... You know, they're not always using their time as wisely as they yes, should be. Yes. Going into the staff room and having that chat for 45 minutes, yes, it, it will have, you know, a, a great, it will be a good feeling in terms of forming a relationship, but are you doing yourself any favours yeah. when now you're going home with a pile of books yes. that you didn't need to be? Yeah. So it is about really having the space to work that pit
0: out for yourself. It's so tricky now, and I guess really when you go and do, if you do training in the schools and if everyone's thinking like that, mm-hmm. I suppose that when it, that's when it can be... Um, transformative definitely um, if everyone's sort of thinking in their own mind okay how do I manage my time better how do I make sure that I get home on time and that it's, yeah I mean the workload is big but how do I make it take less time yes yeah do you find that when you go into schools then that that you you talk through these things and you, you talk about different ways to make um to manage the workload do you get any resistance from head teachers who Still keep the same high levels of workload, or, or are they willing to change and look at things like verbal feedback where, where they can? I mean, what, yeah. what kind of? I think the do you get?
1: whilst I'm not, you know, um, I don't really advocate Ofsted's approach. Mm. I suppose what we can thank them for in the new um, education inspection framework is the fact that wellbeing is there, mm. in, in, yeah. and there's a there's a big focus on it. So I think whether you've got head teachers that didn't pay attention to it before, now are. starting to see that so that does give you leverage going into a school I have worked you know with a range of different head teachers and you do get some head teachers that I said, well, I didn't have to do that. Oh, gosh, you know, they just need to toughen up. Yeah. You know, they don't. They don't. We had to do it like this. Yeah. It's a job. That's what it demands. So I, I do. I do yeah, hear yeah. that a lot. And <laughs> you know, my job is to to listen, and my job is to to, to challenge Help challenge videos, well, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's in, and constructively challenge. It is about trying to share perspective because if we all have these high, what were high expectations back in the day no one says we you know it's really important and that's what the children deserve high expectations they deserve nothing less than the very very best that's what i'd want for my children mm. that's what you'd want for your children so it's about how do we manage to get really high expectations that lead to really high standards without killing our teachers yes. in the process yes. of doing so. I've aware of that. That's it. And as a head, I think that does take a huge amount of emotional intelligence mm. and really good people skills and really good leadership skills as well. So I'm not saying it's easy. You know, I've got this ideal <laughs> in my head about how it should be done. But working with people, it is. Uh, I know with one head teacher, she will always constructively challenge and we, we have very healthy conversation. And I will just say that's not how I would do it but Mm. that's fine and I know that some of the conversations that we're having are definitely rubbing on her rubbing off on her I know that because she will say well I'm thinking that I'm going to give some PPA time at home to my leaders so I know that she's starting to to see that but I know earlier sorry I've just reminded myself because you said what keeps a teacher at school you know that is another really good tip you know PPA at home is just golden golden yeah
0: and do you know what it really is I remember being in the ppa room when I was a secondary teacher mm. and there were like six computers in there and I hated it if there were anyone else in there because you just couldn't get anything yeah. done because yeah. because for teachers oh oh my word there's another adult in the room yeah and I get yeah. to speak yeah um instead of acting yeah yeah <laughs> and Absolutely. it is difficult yeah even now it's it's my goal to have a morning at home where nobody's in the house.
1: Exactly. I get so much done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I and get up at 5am. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. You think if teachers had that, you know, even if they just had the... And that's why coaching is so important. Such mm. an such an important part of that process because you're giving people the headspace to just get off the... One of my favourite sayings, get off the dance floor and, you know, stand on the balcony.
0: Yeah. Because
1: that's exactly what it allows you to do.
0: And it's interesting that you've said headspace because Kate... Aspin, who was, well, her, pub, her podcast was published last Thursday, but by the time this comes out, it won't have been. Um, but she talked about time to reflect, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. headspace to reflect on the teaching. There's no time in teaching to sit and go, mm, what actually went well and what didn't go Absolutely. well and what do I need to improve mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. So, yes, Definitely. headspace. And a lot of the personal development things, like just before... Um, We started filming, we talked about the Miracle Morning. Obviously, that's probably not going to be the right kind of personal development book for teachers, but it is, you know, for business. And I think that does advocate... 10 minutes of silence yeah. in the morning because yeah. it's all about thinking and reflecting yeah. and yeah. having that time for yourself. Yeah. I think Definitely. before I had children, I never realised how much I needed that. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> But yeah. now I really do. Absolutely. But you know, the, the Miracle Morning would support a teacher that does wake up early, is not an yes. early riser yes. and actually is into meditation and spirituality. Yeah. That's a great book because everything that you've just described there are really the, the sort of principles in yeah. that book yeah. because spirituality and meditation for so many is just it gives you that space to think to
0: think yeah yeah, yeah do better yeah I always I always think of it as geared to business because I think right setting yourself up to achieve mm. big goals mm. um okay then so Kyle so Kyle's written me four interesting questions I thought he would so Kyle's actually married to a head teacher so mm. I bet he's been talking to <laughs> I bet he's been talking to his husband right so he wants to know but it could be his husbandly. um What are the biggest challenges you've faced when you've been working in challenging schools? There's so many. Where do I start? Um,
1: Okay. The biggest challenge in working in challenging schools has been lack of process, Mm -hmm. lack of policy. And this is the hardest one, I would say, out of everything. It's actually work. Have you heard of the conscious competence ladder?
0: Uh, possibly, but yeah. remind me.
1: Okay, so, so really it's a, it's a ladder that leads you from being unconsciously incompetent to consciously competent. Right, yeah. So a teacher that's five years in experience, mm-hmm. doing the job, get the results, they'll be consciously competent, Un- unconsciously competent. Yeah, yeah. They could do the job without, you know, it's like driving a car. Yeah. You know, you don't know how you got from A to B because now your driving is yeah. unconsciously competent. Yes. But if you've got staff that you go in who have been not led in Mm. um, the right way and have worked and haven't achieved results for the children, then often they are working as um, unconsciously incompetent. And that's been the greatest challenge because you've got teachers that have met standards, have proved they can do the job but and not demonstrating that level of ability or skill yeah. in the classroom. So taking them through that journey, and that's where um, you know the Every Teacher Matters project and the coaching and everything started to really play, like I said to you, and I reached that sort of point where it was about well-being. But it was like how do we how do we get to well-being? Mm. And it is through taking people through a process because it is about helping and supporting and guiding and directing, but Ultimately, the only time where you make a difference or you start to have self-improvement is when that's inspired action and that's self-motivated. Yeah. So that process takes you. When they realise actually
0: that they have to do something. Yeah. yeah definitely. And it, and it is difficult, isn't it? And I like, I like how you've said coaching through because mm. often schools can just be like, right, okay, well, um, we need to find a way to, to get you yeah. out, Very especially so. if they are on a high pay scale. Very much so. And because I've done a lot of. Um, I've done a lot of supply, but not necessarily... Um, so I did do two long-terms, but I've also visited the same schools a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's no secret to anybody. Yeah. yeah. And how's that helping a teacher's it, it, well-being? It I could, you know, obviously I won't name, but I can think off the yeah. top of my head, loads of different schools, yeah. and I can picture the teachers. Yeah. And if I knew, yeah. as a supply teacher going in yeah. maybe once every few weeks then you've got to think that's not great for well-being at all, it's is not,
1: it? It's not. It's not at all. It's, it's really, really sad. So they would be the, the main things that I, I would say have been really
0: challenging. OK. Um, so Kyle's next question then. So have you found a direct correlation between schools in need of strong leadership and the well-being of staff and children?
1: Very much so, um, and a lot of what I've covered with you already today, and that is about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's about being a compassionate leader. It's about be not not knowing and understanding that there's a hierarchy, but rolling your sleeves up and being yeah. very very much part of the team. High visibility as a leader and leading by example all the way. Definitely, mm-hmm. schools where you've got leaders and leadership teams that work and work from that premise. Absolutely, in my eyes, you can see that they're happy schools. Mm. They're schools that are leading the way. They're schools that they manage to retain their staff. and are schools where the children actually are thriving.
0: Yeah, that's good to know, that. Okay, so as a school culture then, this is Kyle again. A school culture plays a vital role in the well-being of both staff and children. How do you monitor the impact of the coaching?
1: So, again, it, I think if coaching is if someone's got you in for coaching then the head sees the value in it whenever someone sees the value in what you're doing they're going to make an investment in it yeah. and when that investment is made then that's an investment in the staff yeah. and then what you do is you work very much in in conjunction with the school improvement plan you you speak to the head teacher about the goals for coaching mm-hmm. are they goals that support the school improvement plan are they goals that support the individual so it's very much about having a framework of discussion and then having the um, sort of the way that my coaching works is very much about six sessions Mm -hmm. Um, always starting from a you know personal point of view personal first professional second because you know that absolutely Mm -hmm. um, naturally know, lead somebody forward into having progress in in their professional life and then after that it is about sitting down and because the process is confidential the only thing that is shared with the head teacher if it's coaching with an individual not a group then it's about the goals for for that for the outcome for those sessions and then the head teacher has that transparency that even though what is disgusting because Teachers don't want to discuss their yeah, personal, no. you know, with the head, and they do ask often. They often ask because it can be such a such a powerful um, session or sessions that. They're very tearful, they're very emotional, yeah. and they do sort of say, you're not gonna say anything, are you? And it is always, no, I'm not going to say anything. This is a very confidential space. So the head is very supportive yeah. and understanding that that space that's being provided for coaching is a confidential process. But what they know is that the, this is the outcome for coaching. Yeah. And then they have that, and then the coachee also knows that as a result of this, my practice is going to improve and these are the areas for improvement.
0: So is that when you normally pulled in then when a teacher maybe is unconsciously incompetent? yeah um, yeah to turn them around.
1: It's di- different for different people really, um but yes, that is definitely that has been um, a session that I've led or a package mm-hmm. of sessions that I've led, but there's also been uh, teachers that are struggling with behaviour management Mm -hmm. so there's been a very specific you know there's a confidence issue often with behaviour there's a teacher that has a confidence issue so it's working on confidence we've had school I've worked with staff and I'm working with a a head teacher where they are being supported by an academy trust and the school is going through you know a real period of change so then we're looking at a very values-based Approach to bringing people yeah. on board and aligning with the school's values and the school mission. So it's different for different, you know, people, which which is absolutely the unique circumstances that we deal with in schools yeah, and,
0: and different schools as yeah. well. Okay, so this one's hell, Helen then. So have you found that coaching sessions then need to be revisited by schools every few years, just because yeah. of staff turnover and you forget, yeah. don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the schools that I'm working with where it's working very successfully is that the the head teacher understands that it's a, a six sessions but alongside those six sessions with individual members of staff or group coaching sessions is a um an approach to staff CPD around personal development mm-hmm. so we're looking at time management and self-efficacy so some of those coaching principles start to play out in whole school staff CPD mm-hmm. whilst you've got individuals such as a senior leadership team being coached but the yeah. whole ethos in the school starts to develop mm-hmm. so you're looking at mindfulness and meditation because for some schools they yeah. they believe in that you know yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's about appealing to the lots of different personality types and lots yeah. of types of you know leadership approaches for some schools it's about looking at the risk of burnout mm-hmm. and it's about staff you know really making a commitment to their own self-care yeah. and it's about and for some it's about identifying stress triggers mm-hmm. um it's about food I talked about yeah. this briefly it's about you know how how does food affect our mood mm-hmm. and how do we approach that so what can we eat because you know donuts in the staff room aren't always conducive. They're a nice treat, yeah. but they aren't always conducive to us. And people are a lot more health conscious in what they're eating. So what works really well is when there's individual coaching going on, mm. but there's also a whole school approach to a coaching culture or a, a, a well being culture in the school. And then sort of revisiting that with, so as a group of senior leaders that I have coached, I oh, will go back at the end of this term just to do a check-in on them and to see yeah. where they are if they're still meeting, you know, moving towards meeting those goals.
0: So if you do six sessions, what kind of time scales are we looking at?
1: Usually works really well over like nine weeks. Right. So you do two weeks and then have a break, two sessions and a break, two sessions and a break. So that takes over sort of about nine weeks. Yeah, yeah.
0: okay. With a, with a holiday.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right then. So Claire wants to know which of your workshops is the most successful or are well received and why?
1: So it's the one-hour well-being workshop, and that's really the where you look at um, self-care, you look at burnout, and you look at the indicators of stress, um, because they seem to hit the mark. You know, people don't always understand why they're. Fe- you know, if you look at burnout people would just say oh, I feel really burnt out I, feel, I think I'm going to burn out if I carry on like this but you know hopefully with with, with what I've highlighted today yeah. it's so much more than that and I find it really fascinating because I couldn't always understand at certain points why I was feeling like this and right. for me the, the the absolute cause of you know burnout which I don't think people really understand well enough is the conflict of values Mm. and I think when we look at the changing landscape of education and what we went into it as professionals and what it's become it's we're so conflicted and I think that's a real it eats you up I know I speak to so many colleagues that they just they just feel really, really, really sad yes. on the inside yes. because it's not what they want, but they don't know what else to do.
0: This is it. And it's really hard to get a job outside teaching really as well. Hard. Yeah. Even though I think teachers have a lot of management skills. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be good if there was some kind of course that you could just do yeah. a quick conversion. Yeah, um, definitely. I can imagine that the wellbeing course is just a big eye-opener. If, if teachers can go into it with the right mindset and an open mind, yeah. um, because often the CPD that you get in the staff room is about results and the children but then to have something for yourself and I think personal development for me it's like an opportunity to choose something to possibly change something in my life yeah and it's the same it is the same thing if I could hang on if I could take off 30 minutes of work every day yeah what an an amazing
1: opportunity two and a half hours isn't it in your five day week yeah it's huge that is huge but you spoke earlier about, you know, well-being. What does it mean? So the well-being workshop. So I think you do, you know, it is very, very misconceived. You know, mm-hmm. what is well-being and what it might mean to you or, and what it will mean to me is different things. But at the heart of it is a feeling of wellness the majority of the time. Yeah. So when you go, when I go into to do training, that will be the first sort of. Um, myth that I will dispel yeah. what is well-being because for some it's like oh we really really don't want to sit in another meeting where we're going to be talked to about time management or where we're going to to do a bit of meditation I'm really not interested I've got books yeah. to mark and I've yeah. got so people come from a very practical point yeah. of view and it's about making it practical for them yeah. but actually understanding that you know if you're not feeling good about what you're doing every day, then we really need to start questioning the thoughts that we're having on a, on a daily yeah. basis. You've got
0: to approach it with a positive mindset, haven't you? Yeah. Okay, then. Last question before I ask um, the four that I ask at the end. Right, okay. So, Kyle, it's Kyle again. <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, what does your support look like in schools, then, in terms of the time that you have with the school staff? And how do you ensure improvement?
1: Yeah. So some of that I've answered already. So if yeah. it's the coaching then that will be over a nine week period and sometimes it goes goes up because things happen in, in schools don't mm-hmm. they. So we're we're looking at nine sessions over a period of a term uh, over roughly a period of a term. And then well-being workshops usually everyone starts with the one hour well-being workshop mm-hmm. and then you can buy different workshops if that's relevant for your school. So there's no fixed time on that. And in terms of um you, you know Accountability and results. Then those goals that are shared with the head teacher, they have that to Mm. refer to and and know whether those individuals have moved forward in their practice because that was what was shared. So actually, when I'm not there, then it would be, oh, you know, you had this coaching and um, this were your goals, and I've noticed. So it gives them a bit of a framework to start having a conversation because it's an investment, isn't it, that the head's making as well?
0: Do you feel? Um, that you do the well-being workshop and then the people come up to you after a few weeks and go, I've tried that. And
1: Oh, it's phenomenal. The feedback is phenomenal. I had the pleasure of um, training 36 newly qualified teachers oh, recently. Yeah. And um, it was amazing feedback. Cause they were like, you know, we just... We just didn't, you know, we just didn't think that, you know, we need to take care of ourselves in yeah. this way. But so many people... are so
0: fresh and ready to burn it. out, aren't Yeah, they?
1: absolutely, absolutely. So it's really, really good to, to have that feedback from young teachers that are new in the profession mm. because they just felt really empowered. Like, yeah, we, we've, we've, we kind of know that we need to take care of ourselves, but unless someone's telling you to do it, mm. you almost feel guilty. And we, we really mustn't. We mustn't feel guilty about taking care of ourselves yeah. it's so essential to our well-being and to the children's
0: mm-hmm. so you, you talk about uh you know you do a well-being workshop and you kind of I suppose one of my questions was you know how do teachers really feel about personal development because I know from a teaching background I had no idea about mm. it and I probably were like what mm. is this mm. and I've mm. only opened my mind to it from mm. kind of a business point of view and um, but are there any you know do you have like a books list or do you send people down once you've had it opened up to them, is mm. what I'm saying, mm. from the well-being workshop. Mm where where could they go even if they don't go Mm. with you do they do you find that they're like oh I want more of this yeah
1: yeah very much so so the the project that I run is called every teacher matters and there's Mm -hmm. three uh, three facets to that project so first is coaching Mm -hmm. the second is training in schools that we've discussed and then the third one is the network Mm -hmm. so the network I run um, it's a half termly network the next one is in Birmingham City Centre next Thursday and that's the place to go so if your school isn't buying into the support then um, you still want a safe place a confidential place with like-minded professionals where your you know well-being is at the heart of it then come to the network and I know okay. that isn't you know viable for everybody because yeah. here I am sat here in Yorkshire <laughs> yeah. um, but you know the um, you can subscribe to the Every Teacher Matters newsletters as well mm-hmm. which kind of gives you lots of practical tips and tools and keeps you updated and I think that you know the, the sky's the limit really so we've got some really exciting plans for the future as well in terms of creating some communities and I've had some contact with them um, with colleagues that would really like to take it into other areas as yeah. well so yeah
0: Oh, that's really good. Yeah, and I think there's lots of there's lots of books that that teachers can yeah. listen to out there. Um, that just help them to be better, uh, to manage time better, to do things mm-hmm. better. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we think that we don't have control, but maybe we do. We're just not taking it. Yeah, we're just not trying to take control. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if you could solve the life work balance problem for teachers by waving a magic wand, mm-hmm. what would you do?
1: I would give more autonomy. I would give more autonomy. I think my approach would be very much about the, the, these are the teacher's standards. Mm-hmm. This is what the job involves. We've got to get the children to these thresholds. They've got to meet these expectations. I really don't mind how you do it as long as you do it. That really would that be would it. That
0: would be amazing, that wouldn't it?
1: In my mind, <laughs> it really is that simple that you've got to consistently meet these standards. I do not make these standards up these standards are there you know we we chose this career we chose this profession and we've got to we've got to accept that and and you know roll our sleeves up and go for it the children you know their needs have to be met which will which will be demonstrated through those standards as long as you do that Mm. If you want to come in at seven because it suits you to come in at yeah. seven, you do that. If you want to come in at eight o'clock and leave at half past four, absolutely fine by me. That works as well. But you know what? There has to be a level of trust. Yeah. There has to be a level of autonomy and there has to be a level of understanding that as a head teacher, there has to be more flexibility in the way that you approach your staff. Mm. And that would, be, that would be my wish, really. Mm. That Let them do it how they want to do it. Yeah. As long as they get it done and they're happy.
0: Yeah, and and the children are happy as well. It, absolutely,
1: yeah. because that's what filters onto the children if the teacher is happy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Where do you think education is going to go in the next ten years?
1: I really don't know. I really—it's such a difficult question to answer because I think the changes that I've seen myself just since 2014, I, that just seems to be a significant turning point. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were certain people. Um, making decisions at the time. I'll mention (laughs) no names, but I know you're smiling at me. You know exactly who I I mean. Things have changed so enormously that the landscape of education is unrecognisable, which um, lots of us feel have destroyed, you know, the profession for, Mm. you know, not what we wanted. But I think that there are some innovative people Mm. um, that are doing lots of different things to, to show the you know the profession as a whole that yeah. we can be game changers yeah we absolutely can be game changers and if, as long as we're making the right noise in the right way bringing it to the right attention to the people that are decision makers mm. then who knows but I think that really unless we start to really think radically and be really innovative in what we're doing and how we are approaching our profession is going how can it get any worse you know yeah. it is that crisis point already mm. so i do believe because i'm really positive and i'm really <laughs> optimistic i really do believe that people will start to approach things differently and for me giving the the teachers the voice the autonomy the skills about self-care you know they've got to start to assert these boundaries and enforce these boundaries mm. so that people that are in power making decisions have to start to think, actually, might need to do things a bit differently here.
0: And listen, I think teachers can be really innovative as well. We just have to work within the boundaries that we're given and we just have different boundaries to what we had 10 years ago right now. That's right, Um, And there are definitely strides to be made and, and things we can do it's just working out what we can do yeah definitely and do. definitely
1: when you look at the focus of the inspection framework back on the curriculum that's a really good sign isn't yeah. it yeah. because what that will really need is creative input again and I know um, when I was happiest as a teacher I was working in a, in a school that did get to outstanding. But when we went through an inspection and we were good, one of the reasons that we didn't get outstanding during that inspection was because the curriculum was not creative, active and practical enough. And I remember the um, the deputy head coming to myself, I was working in a three-form entry school. It was one of the, the happiest years of my teaching career without a doubt. A uh, year five teacher, two colleagues, and she had a meeting with us and said, right, we've got to make our curriculum more creative, active and practical. And I'm giving you guys the autonomy just to pilot this and you tell us what you think it needs. And I just remember that being that that sense of A, you trust me, B, I know what to do because I've yeah. got those ideas, I've got that creativity. Yeah. And now you're giving me the free reign to just go ahead and do that. Mm. And we did we got, we got did get outstanding at the the next Ofsted inspection. Well so done. it works, it does work, it does
0: work. Um, they buy people buy into it, don't they? When you when you give them the opportunities, absolutely. I'm not going to ask you what you wanted to be when you grew up because you've already told me it was a teacher <laughs> I have, through and I through. Have, yeah, but who was your favourite teacher at school and why?
1: I think I had two. I had two. They were both male teachers, interestingly. Um, it was Mr. Farnham at primary school, just because he was caring. He was very warm. It didn't matter what I did or how wrong or off the mark I was. Um, I could go to him at any point with my Mm. book and he would often, you know, just to just make me feel feel good about what I was doing and gave me lots of encouragement and positive praise for what I was doing. And yeah, just made me generally feel good about myself as a Mm. child Um, and very much the same at secondary school because I was very I wasn't maths wasn't my strongest subject. I always found that much, much harder, and um, it was Mr Horton in my secondary school, and again, it was uh, take risks and have a go, mm-hmm. and if you don't get it right, it's okay, it's not the end of the world, and yeah. I still remember feeling really uptight, you know, being quite shaky walking up with my book because I wanted to <laughs> yeah. get it right, and he would kind of look at me and say, doesn't matter, you've had a go, let's go through it together, yeah. so it's just very much about that nurturing approach, yeah. Yeah,
0: and you just need to feel relaxed, don't you, Definitely. to succeed. yeah. Well, thank you so much. We've covered so much. Yeah, thank um, you. So many amazing tips. I'm really excited for teachers to to listen to some of these and start thinking about personal development because it's something I know I feel really passionate about but I feel is maybe not
1: so yeah. much in the teaching yeah. space.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, Claire, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you.
0: you. So much for listening. I'm going to be looking out for the signs of stress and keeping the six principles of burnout on my mind when thinking about how I'm coping with life because it's not just work, is it? And also thinking about this when it comes to my colleagues. I hope you'll do the same and that you've taken something away to help you achieve continued wellness every day. You'll find everything that Sunita talked about in the show notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, then check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We've been securing some more fantastic guests for you. And if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community. It might be that you've got an event coming up, and maybe we could visit that too. This episode is now live on YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And if you love this episode, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast
1: is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high-quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.